couldn't let that young Phil Van Ryan whippersnapper outdo me, so the series is called In Shorts, I mean In Short, <laughs> and uh, today we're looking at Philemon. It's been said that there are three ways to get some difficult task done. One is to do it yourself, uh, the second one is to hire somebody to do it, or the third one is to forbid your, forbid your kids to do it. <laughs> well, this is, this is about a big ask. Have you have ever had to ask somebody that was something that was really difficult? You know, you spent a lot of time pondering on, how am I going to ask them this? This goes against the grain as it is to ask them this. Well, this uh, story, uh, this letter... Uh, that was recounted so really well. That word backstory, where'd that come from? If somebody asked me my backstory, I'd say, well, when I was 16, I had my first spinal surgery. But why isn't it just... Yeah, anyway, it's the backstory. <laughs> um, and this is a big ask. Paul is having to frame his requests to Philemon very carefully. It's a big ask, and there's five requests he makes, and I'm going to go through these very quickly. Firstly, he's asking Philemon to take Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, back. I'm, verse 12 says, I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. And there's a hint there, who's my very heart. Why is he talking about a slave, who's my very heart? And, of course, slaves were at the bottom of society, society and owned. And so he makes this request that he will take Onesimus, a runaway slave, back. But as the ad says, but wait, there's more. Secondly, he's asking Philemon not to punish Onesimus. This is so countercultural. They had a legal right to punish, to imprison, and in some cases to actually execute them or have them put to death. And uh, it's a weird thing of that early Roman society, but if a slave got sick and you couldn't use him, you were able to put him to death. Okay, that helps. <laughs> You've got a slave, haven't you? It's, a, it's of no use to you then. But anyway, he's asking Philemon not to punish Onesimus. Thirdly, he's asking Philemon to treat Onesimus as a fellow man. He is very dear to me, verse 16 says, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man. He's wanting... Philemon to lift him up in society, and that is so countercultural, so countercultural. And if that isn't enough, he's then asking Philemon to treat him as a brother, treat Onesimus, this runaway slave who's um, done something to him. He's asking him to treat him as a brother, to take him into the family. That is so countercultural. And because you know what countercultural means, don't you? It means anything that's against the culture of the day. Uh, and so it's not accepted as the norm to do something if it's countercultural. It's a count against the cultural culture. And uh, fourthly, he's asking Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother, take him into the family. I've already said that, haven't I? So I'm just making sure you get it. This is such a stretch. But Paul hasn't finished yet. Fifthly, he's asking Philemon to accept Onesimus as an equal partner in the Lord. Verse 17, so if you can consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
That's what's really implied in all of this. Treat him as you would me. And uh, as the backstory showed us, uh, Paul is actually standing in for Onesimus in this arrangement with Philemon. And uh, just as Christ stands in for us in our relationship with God. How can Paul write such a letter? How can he put such a big countercultural ask to his friend Philemon? Well, it actually seems uh, to be that Paul didn't actually write many of his own letters uh, for whatever reason, but he, he dictated them to somebody. Uh, and though, uh, the term for that person who was the sort of, we would call a secretary now, uh, is, was an amanuensis, somebody who actually did the writing for them. Uh, that's if it was a male, and if it was a female, they were called a ladyuensis. No, they weren't really, but anyway. So perhaps the question should be is, how could Paul dictate such a letter? If he couldn't write it, how could he? Well, in verse 19, he actually sort of signed his name. He says, uh, see, my, by my own hand, I'm putting to this. So how could he dictate such a letter? Well, there's, there's so much of what he's requesting goes against the culture. But if we stop and think... Everything of Christ is against the culture. The fact that you are here today is countercultural. Because so much of the world is not here. It's against our culture in Australia to be a Christian. And it's becoming more against our culture to stand up for the things that are right and true and pure and so on. Paul can dictate this letter for eight reasons I've picked up. Eight reasons why he can make these five heavy requests. The first one is that Paul and Philemon are dear friends and fellow workers. There is a deep relationship that's not seen to us but is between the letter and, and the writer and the receiver. And uh, this is born particularly out of Paul's role in Philemon's uh, salvation initially. Secondly, the second reason he can dictate this is that Paul desires the best for Philemon. And the words grace and peace are in there, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father. Now peace was a normal kind of greeting in those days. Dear da-da-da, peace to you and your family. But the, the addition by Paul of the words grace implies that God is in all of this and God provides the peace, something that was different from the normal culture. This is countercultural too. The third reason Paul can dictate this is, is that he's in the habit of praying for Philemon and the company there. He's in the habit of praying for them. That's why he can dictate this. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. A praying friend, what a valuable connection that is. Fourthly, Paul knows of Philemon's love for God's people and his faith in Jesus Christ. This is the, another reason he can dictate this letter is because he knows of Philemon's love for God's people and his faith in Jesus Christ. Philemon, Philemon's new life in Christ is bearing fruit in his relationship 
uh, around with other people and his ministry uh, as a Roman Christian in Colossae. And fifth reason that Paul can dictate this letter is that Paul and Philemon already have a partnership going. There's already this connection. It started when Paul was in Colossae with Philemon. Now the story is told by some sort of wag that two men were riding a tandem bicycle up a hill, a steep hill. In partnership, they were on this bike. After much effort, they finally made it to the top of the hill. The front rider said, oh, that was a tough ride. To which the second rider replied, sure was, and if I hadn't kept the brake on, we might have slipped backwards. That's not countercultural, that's counterproductive. <laughs> but there are partnerships, and there are partnerships, aren't there? And this is a partnership that is deep and born of a common relationship in Christ. Paul regards Philemon as a brother. That's another reason he can dictate this letter. He regards Philemon as a brother. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, brothers always aren't brothers and brothers aren't always the best relationships, and because there are families and there are families, um, as I've found out at doing funerals, there are families and there are families. <laughs> and uh, but here, Paul is regarding Philemon as a brother and a good relationship. And then the seventh reason, and he changes tack slightly here because he introduces this concept of his knowledge and relationship with Onesimus, the runaway slave. And he, or Onesimus as I like to call it, Onesimus, has really changed. Uh, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. You see, Paul brought Philemon to Christ and he also has brought Onesimus to Christ too. And so there's this knowledge of the change that occurred in Onesimus. He knew the before, he knows the after. And uh, he can talk honestly and openly to Philemon about that. And the eighth and final reason he can dictate this letter is that Paul knows that the slave Onesimus, who was useless to Philemon, is now useful because of the change. In fact, he's using a play on a word, words here because Onesimus actually means useful or productive or beneficial. And so he's saying what was useless is now useful. Get it? His name is that. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you. When he ran away from Philemon, he was of then no use to him. But now he's useful to Paul in the first instance. He served him in prison and he will be useful to Philemon if he goes back. Now we don't have recorded or kept for us Philemon's reply. So we only have one side of the story, so to speak, the requests that went out. But boy, does this short 25 verses pack a punch. These asks that he makes. But... If we look at the markers of this relationship, this partnership, this koinonia uh, from this letter, we can come up with some things that are really important for us to consider, to ponder. And the first one is, do we consider each other as fellow workers for the kingdom? You know, I mean, is that our consideration of each other here or are we just simply attenders 
or followers of Christ who turn up at the same place together and for an hour and a half, two hours or whatever we hang around for, share a coffee and a chat about the weather and maybe go a little deeper than that sometimes? Or do we consider each other as fellow workers for, con- for the kingdom? This community known as Door of Hope Christian Church. Secondly, from this letter we can ask, do we desire the best for each other? Do we desire the best for each other? And I, I don't mean in a, just in, not in the attitude of not wanting anything to be harm somebody one, or become somebody that's awful. You know, we often want the best for people in that regard in a negative sense, if you like, of, want avoidance of that. But do we actually positively want and desire the best for each other? Do we seek that? Do we pray that? Do we talk about that? And thirdly, are we in the habit of praying for each other? Are we in the habit of praying for each other? You see, we are a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world, and praying for each other should be part of what we do. When we pray for somebody, it's not hard then to desire the very best for them. And uh, for the one that you're praying for. I recall that a couple who were very dear to this church many years ago who have passed on to their reward in heaven. In the days when our church was smaller, we used to have a church directory where everybody's name was listed so that we could contact contact each other and so on. And I knew, know that they used to pray through that directory. Pray through that directory. Not every day, but by the end of the month or week or whatever, they would have gone completely through the directory. Now, that's not practical in terms of having lists and all that sort of thing here now today, but do we, do we consciously uh, uh, in the habit of praying for each other in this uncertain world? Fourthly, do we know the faith and love each has for Jesus? We're a Jesus-centred, others-focused. That's our vision and mission. Jesus-centred, others-focused. Do we know the faith and love each other has for Jesus? This is one of the things about being involved in connect groups is that you get to know that story, person's backstory, if you like. You know, how many back surgeries have had. And so you get to be able to do that in community, together in community, through connect groups. And I encourage you to consider that for this year if you haven't already been involved. See, it's, we need to be more than just nodding acquaintances. We need to be even more than knowing first names. We need to be that community uh, that uh, is God's community, under God, in Christ together in community, to this family. Fifthly, is the term brother and sister in Christ, which was used when I first started attending church, the older people in our church used to talk about brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so, and they were talking about people in the church, they weren't talking about their family. But that sort of drifted away from our modern terminology, but the concept must still be there. It's still a biblical concept and therefore it's something that we need to ponder on. Do we consider each other brother and sister in Christ or is it simply an old-fashioned concept? 
And you see, if we consider that, then we're more likely to consider ourselves as part of this family, this family of God, this family in Christ. And six, have we considered our partnership in the gospel? As Paul wrote to Philemon, this word partnership in the gospel comes up, this concept comes up right through those, most of those 25 verses. And, and then we get a sense that they're on the same team. Whilst way, way apart from each other, many separated by miles, separated by prison chains, uh, and a distance, there is still that teamwork, that partnership through the good news of Jesus Christ. Here at Door of Hope, we don't use the term membership like uh, used to be the case. We've let that go for lots of different reasons, but we, we now talk in terms of hope partners as representing a partnership that's available to us each year. It's the team concept of working together, of con contributing together into the team. And uh, I guess the definition we could say would be that a hope partner is someone who's committed to God and to the vision and mission of this church, which of course is uh, different. Uh, each church has its own vision and mission, but ours is to be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world. And we're wanting to become Jesus-centred, others-focused, and do it together in community. This, this partnership, this wonderful koinonia or fellowship is this old term in the, the New Testament. And there are literally five words that outline what this might mean for us and what it's defined for us. And uh, these words are journey, gather, serve, give, and voice. And I'm just going to briefly outline for them, them for you as you consider this concept of partnership. And in the foyer, after the service, there'll be some uh, folk, I think it's Sandy and uh, Michelle, are going to be at a little table out there, and they will have this brochure that I'm sharing with you, and also a fuller document that outlines this concept of partnership as you consider this morning the implications of Philemon's, uh, the letter to Philemon for us. And so these five words, what are they about? Well, journey, the word journey is about the journey of discipleship as we seek to follow after Jesus. It means we follow through the process of discipleship by uh, being involved in understanding and studying and, and journeying together as it means to be uh, Jesus-centred, others-focused, and do it together community. And we believe that life can be lived to its fullest when lived following Jesus. So why wouldn't we want to follow Jesus to get that? So there's that journey of discipleship. And then the word gather. And that encompasses this phrase. We believe that regular attendance in church services is vital for our growth. That's because as we gather together and rub shoulders with each other, we learn from each other, we, we sh get to share in each other's praise and prayer and, and uh, successes and, and lift each other up in failure and sadness and grief and all these things together. We do it as an extended family of God 
in Christ. And uh, this gathering also is what we call a radically inclusive gathering, that, uh, where we believers welcome non-believers, inviting them on a spiritual journey with Jesus. And we talk about a hope pathway too, about the various stages that any of us might be. But that's inclusive. That doesn't just start at the believer or the saint, as we would say in, in the Bible, which includes all believers, not just special chosen few who might have a name, but we are the saints. And the third word is the word serve. And this is this concept of being able to serve each other. You know, when the team come down and they pass the trays along, they are serving us. That's just one of the simple ways that we can serve each other. When you drove in and through the car park, there were people serving you there by assisting you to find a car space. There were ushers, there were, you know, it goes on. The whole team that puts the services together are serving. And there's a place for each of us within this family of service. We serve the body of Christ, the church, and it needs each of us to play our part in exercising the way that we're made, our spiritual gifts that God gives us, and where we learn to care for and share experiences together. And the word give encompasses this attitude towards giving that should be joyful and generous. As we look at Scripture, we find that God is so generous, way beyond we can all imagine. He gave his only son for us. And there's this uh, right through, particularly the New Testament, uh, encouragement by the New Testament writers to be free in our giving because we can't outgive God. And the blessings that we receive from giving are not because we give, but because we don't hang on to the stuff that God's already given us. And so we're encouraged to give. Uh, and those uh, not yet financially giving a tithe of 10% are encouraged to be faithfully working toward that biblical example, which is so clear. And then the last word, voice. It's great to have a voice. Last week, I think it was, Andrew brought us up to speed with a few things that are happening in the life of the church in terms of the roofing project and the, and the land next door. And he mentioned that part, the, those in partnership with uh, the church, those Hope Partners already knew about this. And that's because Hope Partners have a voice and we have been invited by the elders to come and to listen and to sit with them and to to vote on major issues that affect the life of the church. And it, that's so important and so, um, what shall I say, real to me because uh, as part of the family, I get a say. And so we have a voice. We have a faithful eldership and staff whose primary role is to hear where God is leading the church. We believe God also speaks to each of us and invite us to contribute to big decisions and give feedback. And that's such a privilege to be able to do that uh, as part of the wider Hope Partnership uh, in addition to the elders and staff. So I just want to encourage you this morning to reflect on that. And if you're not already a Hope Partner, give that some deeper consideration over these next few weeks. As I said, there'll be a table in the foyer with Sandy and Michelle at, uh, I think, and uh, they'll be able to give you those things out and ask questions for you. And there'll be a number of you who are already able to tick all those boxes in your own mind. 
and yet perhaps you haven't considered being a hope partner. We would love for you to be able to do that. And uh, uh, as we know and as we describe that we're all on a different stage of a journey, we're on this hope pathway, uh, there may be a situation for you where you can't say that you fit into all those categories. But if you're on the journey, we'll encourage you and we want you to be included in what this family does and is able to do. So I'd like to pray for you now as we close this section. Father God, um, Paul has enormous courage and insight to be able to write or dictate such a letter to his mate Philemon. And uh, he sees the work of Christ in this runaway slave, Onesimus, who wasn't useful at all and now is useful. He was useless before, but now he's useful. And Lord, that's true for all of us who know the love of Jesus Christ. Before then, we were not useful to God at all, but now we are. But Lord, we know that in this fellowship, as in many other churches, there are people on journeys who, for them, is, that is not the experience yet. Lord, we just simply pray that whatever we do here, whatever we say here, encourages exploration, encourages journey, encourages searching. And for those of us, Lord, who are on the journey at various stages, we would ask for wisdom, we'd ask for um, stickability, and we'd ask for um, these concepts of family to become part of our, uh, our experience and our relationship with each other. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.